uh, you've made time in your day to make some of it a part of your day. So thank you for being uh, online with us and worshiping with us and just joining in. I pray that God blesses you, and I'm sure God has already. Um, don't we have an awesome worship team? Aren't you thankful for them? They're fantastic. They, uh, they do a wonderful job, and I appreciate them. A lot of hard hours and work and all those kind of things. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate those guys. Um, hey, let me just welcome you. If you're a guest with us today, if this is your first time, or maybe it's uh, maybe you've come a few times, you've been here with us, but you've never filled out one of our guest cards before, I want to encourage you. There is a guest card like this one in the seat back in front of you. If you would, grab this card. If you're a guest with us today, if this is your first time, fill this card out for us, and then take it by the info center. It's on your right-hand side. It's the booth out there on the right-hand side. Stop by there, take that to them, and they're going to give you a free Summit mug. Uh, it's got our vision statement on there. It says, Every Life Made Different. So we'd love for you to stop by there and pick up one of those mugs today. And uh, just it's a way of, you know, that we can say thank you for worshiping with us. So it's just a token of our appreciation. So thank you for that. If you're an IUP student, college student, uh, that might be your most valuable piece of uh, kitchenware is your Summit mug. You put, you know, cereal in there, you put your soup in there, whatever you need. So uh, stop by there and pick one of those up following the service today. I also want to let you know uh, our REACH ministry is this Saturday. We're going to be going all over Indiana doing really good things, just practical ministry. Uh, we'll be doing things like painting at Mack Park. We'll be doing some things over at Alice Paul House. Uh, we're going to be going to some of the nursing homes locally and just uh, just caring for and spending time with some of the residents. And so it's going to be a great day. If you haven't signed up, there's still some spots available. It's uh, available on the right-hand side as you're going out. It's by the Info Center stop by there. Take a look at that and sign up for a spot. That's this Saturday, though. So we'll meet in this room uh, here at the church at 9 a.m. We're going to have uh, just a, a couple minutes, a few minutes of worship together and just kind of rally before we go out and just see how God will use us. So be here for that. We'd love for you to be a part. Uh, also want to let you know, Pastor Dick is starting a new small group. And if you are a new believer, maybe you're new to Christ, maybe you've been uh, new to this whole church thing and you're not really sure how this works and what, what am I supposed to do now? I made a decision for Jesus. Now what? Um, Pastor Dick's going to be doing a class on Wednesday nights that is specifically for new believers. So we would love for you, if you're new to your faith, if, if maybe you're coming back to this thing and trying to figure out what does Christianity 101 look like, then uh, get plugged into that group. It's Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And uh, you can sign up. There's information at the table out in the lobby. We'd love to have you here for that as well. Last thing, tonight, if you are a volunteer, if you serve at the summit in any capacity, if you filled out the background checks and you serve, whether you're a greeter, usher, no matter what it is, uh, kids ministry, we want you here tonight at 6.30 p.m. We've got an event for all of our volunteers, everybody who serves, and it's going to be great. You do not want to miss it. We're going to have uh, some refreshments, but then we're just going to spend some time together and just celebrate some of the really excellent, incredible things God is doing. So I'm telling you, you do not want to miss it. Be here tonight at 6.30 p.m. All right, got it? Nobody got it. Okay, good. You made me nervous for a second. Um, we're continuing our series today called At the Movies, and if you like this series, I would really encourage you, invite somebody to come with you next week, okay? Um, take some of these cards are out in the lobby and go invite your neighbors and your coworkers, because the purpose of this series is not just to have something fun for the church. The purpose of the series is to give you an excuse and an opportunity to invite Every person you know that doesn't go to church, doesn't have a relationship with God, and maybe it's just far from God, period, that they would never come to hear me preach. But when you say, hey, we're going to do that, we're in the series and we're looking at movies, showing movie clips, and you get to eat candy in the service, people would go, okay, I might do that. 
so invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite everybody you know. Let's get them here next weekend for the series and just see what God will do. Today we're continuing our series called At the Movies, and we're going to be looking at a story today and looking at some clips from a film today that I've got to be perfectly honest with you. I really wrestled whether, the, whether we would even use this movie or not because of the nature of the film. Um, and I will tell you this, we, can, we cannot endorse the movie as one that we think everyone should see. Last week it was easy. A lot of people said, hey, I went and rented the movie and it was great. And I would strongly encourage you to, to really think through watching the movie we're going to talk about today because of its nature. It was set in um, World War II in Poland, and uh, it's got strong language, graphic violence throughout the film. And so, again, I want to I caution you before I would say you should watch this movie. And the movie that we're going to be looking at some clips today is the story of Oscar Schindler. It's Schindler's List. Um, we felt that the story was so important to tell that we would use the film in spite of its nature. Does that make sense? So please just use caution as you are uh, thinking about whether you would watch this film in the future or not. Uh, but like I said, the story is so incredible that we felt compelled, we felt strongly that we wanted to share this with you. And just know that the clips we're going to show you today are, are appropriate. So if you've got your child in the room, it's okay. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, it should be just fine. Um, 1939, a man named Oscar Schindler, he was a German native, but he, he purchased a factory in Krakow, Poland that made pots and pans. And he bought this factory so that he could manufacture pots and pans and sell the cookware to the German army. His purpose was to profit from World War II. He wanted to make some money. And Schindler was known as a womanizer and someone who was always looking for a quick buck. He did not have a great reputation and he was known as someone who's somewhat selfish. Um, he was a member of the Nazi party, but he was far more interested in making money than he was in supporting the German war effort. In order to make himself even more money and in order to increase his profit margin, he employed Jews in his factory. Now the thing was, uh, Jews could not be paid a wage. The wages you would normally pay the Jewish worker actually went to the Nazi party, but they were less than half of what he would have to pay Polish workers. So instead of paying the Polish workers, well, he wouldn't pay the, the Jews anything, and he could give it to the Nazi party, and he would save himself a bundle. All the Jews from Krakow, the, the, the city that the factory was, was in, um, so all the Jews in Krakow and the surrounding areas were forced from their homes, their businesses were taken from them, and they were forced into a small walled ghetto. So 15,000 Jews were crammed into just over 3,000 rooms. As a result, one apartment was allocated to every four Jewish families. So sometimes you would have uh, 20 to 25 people living in one small apartment. People that didn't even know each other before they were forced to live together. Many of the less fortunate never even had apartments, but they were forced to live on the streets. The ghetto was liquidated from June 1942 to March 1943. Most of its inhabitants were sent to their deaths at camps like Belzec or Auschwitz. There were a few, though, that were sent to a camp on the south side of, uh, of Krakow called Plajow. Um, this is where most of Schindler's workers and workforce were sent um, as the ghetto was liquidated. One day, Schindler was with his, his mistress, and they were riding horses along this hillside. And he was able to 
look over the Jewish uh, ghetto as it was being liquidated. And he was able to witness the clearing of the Jewish streets and, and the clearing of the ghetto. And he would later say that this changed him forever. After that moment on the hill, and this was an actual moment that happened for Schindler, and when he saw this little girl walking through the streets of this ghetto, and she was walking seamlessly in between bullets and seemed to almost not even notice what was going on, and one of the things that struck Schindler as odd was that this little girl was allowed to walk through that the, the Germans paid no mind to her, but it seemed like there were all these people standing around that were watching what the Germans were doing. There were people being murdered in the streets, that they were being victimized, and hundreds of people were seeing it. And this was something that he thought was odd and he didn't understand, but what he later realized was the reason the Germans didn't mind if there were witnesses was their purpose was to kill everyone in that ghetto. They were going to leave some witnesses, but they would not leave them for long because every person in that ghetto was the, had the intention of they were going to be murdered. And at that point, it, it changed Schindler. He, he saw this happen, and up to that point, he had been somewhat naive about what was going on. He, he had kind of hidden his head in the sand and kind of ignored the fact of what he had seen around him, and he, he downplayed it. And when he was confronted with, with the reality of what was really happening, he knew that something had to change. And someone asked Schindler years later why he did what he did, and this is what he said. He said, I had to help them. There was no choice. After he realized what was going on, he committed himself to undermining the authority of the Nazi government, to doing everything he could to combat them and to save Jews. And this is what we have to understand. When we look at this story of, of Oskar Schindler, one of the things that comes to mind over and over and over is his story is all about sacrifice. And you'll see more of this in just a little bit. 
But what we have to know is that sacrifice happens when we know our why. When we know the reason why we do the things we do, sacrifice happens naturally. And this is what I would tell you. If your why is big enough, anything is possible. I, I said this last week, but it's not that we lack ability, but we lack proper motivation so many times in our lives. And let me give you some examples. Um, most of us in this room have sacrificed at some point or another for someone that we know or love. If you're a parent, you, you live that out, right? Um, I did not realize how selfish I was until I had kids. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this baby needs something for me all the time. Like in the middle of the night, it was, you know, all kinds of stuff. It was like, come on, baby, like just stop crying. Like go use the bathroom like a normal adult does. Just go do it, right? Like, come on. And you're just pouring yourself out day after day, moment after moment, minute by minute. You're, you're giving yourself to this child who's giving nothing to you, right? Let's be honest. The children will leak on you, like fluids will secrete from their body on you. But you don't even care. It doesn't bother you. Why? Because it's your child. You're like, I just ruined this shirt, but it's okay. It's my baby, right? I told this story last night, and uh, can I tell the story today? Okay, Abby's like, oh gosh, she wasn't in here last night for this. But um, years ago, Abby was real little. I mean, two or three, she was small. And, and she was not feeling good. She had a tummy ache, and we were trying to get home and get her in bed and get into the safe zone, like get her in the bathroom, you know, plastic on the floor, something. And so I'm holding her and trying to get in the house, and just about that time, she erupts and just, it is just biblical how much stuff comes out of my child. And so me, I'm, I'm trying to prevent it from getting on the carpet because I know I'm cleaning this up later. So I'm like, like, just like, it's, you know, on me and I'm like, oh, and she is apologizing. Even as a child, she's saying, daddy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She was far more concerned about me having a mess on me than she was about her being sick. And so I, I made the comment and I said, baby, you can throw up on me anytime you want. And she, and she said, and she was uh, two or three, she was little, and she said, Daddy, that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but the truth is, who in the world would I ever say, you can throw up on me anytime you want to, except my child, right? Like, I love my wife, but I'm probably not telling her that, right? <laughs> so what am I saying? We make incredible sacrifices for our kids, and we don't even think twice about it. In fact, when we see other parents who are unwilling to sacrifice for their kids, isn't it weird? Don't you question them? You're like, what is wrong with you? Why would you not sacrifice for your child? Because it's so easy to do. And the reason is because we know the why. I look at my child and I say, I want to provide for her future. I want to help her become the woman of God that I know that God is destined for her to be. I want to do everything in my power to position her so she can become an incredible powerhouse for God someday. Right? So my why is so clear, it makes it so easy for me to say, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make that future happen. Does that make sense? My why is crystal clear when it comes to my kids. When it came to Oscar Schindler, his why was clear. He saw the clearing of the ghetto and he knew right then something has to happen. And not somebody else needs to do something. He knew he had to do something. His why was huge. And sacrifice began to happen. This was a man who was totally selfish. <laughs> he literally was a war profiteer. He got involved in the war effort not because he was a patriot, but because he was trying to make a buck. 
And then he began to sense this shift happen in him because sacrifice happens when we know our why. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus had been traveling and preaching, and he has this moment where he pauses, almost like the Schindler moment from the hill. This is what it says in Matthew 9, 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, like, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but from a, from a historic perspective, we are described as sheep throughout Scripture. Okay? Jesus identifies himself as a good shepherd, and we are his sheep. That We hear his voice and we follow. And so over and over and over through Scripture, you hear us described as sheep. But let me tell you something about sheep. They are stupid animals. I'm a sheep too, okay? It's not just you. Well, you people are a bunch of sheep. We are sheep, okay? And there's a reason the Bible described us like, that way, because sheep will not fend for themselves, they need a shepherd to lead them to food and lead them to water and lead them to safety and lead them to security because they cannot do it on their own. And so when Jesus looked at the crowds and he realized they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, what he was saying is something has to happen because these people are hopeless and helpless. They don't have a future. They don't have security. Something has to happen. Jesus identified the crowds and said, Somebody's got to do something, and it's going to be me. See, this is something I want you to understand. I want you to get in your spirit. You were Jesus' why. The same way that I will sacrifice and fight for my daughter is the same way that Jesus looked at you and said, you are my why. I will sacrifice. I will fight. I will lay everything down for you and for the purposes that God's got for you. I truly believe that. You are his why. See, Jesus looked far beyond our fault and he saw our needs. I love what Todd said earlier, that he didn't look at us and label us and go, sinner, 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 bad sinner, really bad sinner. He didn't do that. Do you know what he did? He, he looked at us and he didn't identify us by what we had done or how we had failed. He looked at us and identified us by our need. And he said, these people are sheep without a shepherd and I'm gonna be their shepherd. These people are in desperate need of a future and a hope, and I can give them a future and hope. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now listen to this part. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen to this. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we understand founder, that he's the one who started this thing. There is no faith apart from Jesus. So he's the founder of our faith. When it says he's the perfecter of our faith, what that means is, uh, not perfect in a sense of without blemish or 100%, what it means is that he is the one who shapes us and molds us and grows us and directs our growth. Does that make sense? That it's really talking about a, a maturation process, that he's the one who helps us grow in the way that we need to grow. So he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. But listen to this. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I'm not going to give you a breakdown of everything that happened on the cross. But Jesus was beaten beyond what any of us can imagine. He was crucified 
nails driven through his hands and feet. He was stabbed and blood poured out of him. I mean, crown of thorns on his head. And this didn't happen in a few minutes. This was over the course of many hours. Where was the joy in that? Right? There's no joy in that. There's no happiness in that. The joy that was found was not in the crucifixion, was not in the pain and suffering. See, Jesus looked beyond the pain and suffering. He looked beyond the sacrifice. He looked beyond what he was laying down, and he saw you. And he saw me. We are his joy. He said, you know what? <laughs> this is not going to be any fun. In fact, he was in the garden before everything happened, and he said, hey, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, this cup of suffering, this cup of, of sin that's waiting, let this cup pass from me if it's your will. But if it's not, I'm going to do it. Why would he endure that? Why would he endure the suffering for you and for me? Because we are his why. It's worth it because we are his why. It doesn't make any rational sense to us, does it? But the same way that I look at my daughters and say I would sacrifice anything for them, the same way that I love my wife and say I would sacrifice anything for her, is the way our Heavenly Father looks at us and say, I would give my very son for you because you're worth it. Sacrifice happens when we know our why. Oscar Schindler realized what was happening. He had about 300 Jews that were working for him in his factory, and he realized he had to do more. So he began paying off and bribing German officials to bring Jewish workers from the camp into his factory that would be safe. And he claimed that they were essential to the war effort, but he would bring over people who were crippled, people that had one arm, children who really couldn't do any work, or, or elderly people, grandmas and grandpas, who really couldn't do the work, but he was doing it simply to save these people's lives. The factory was converted to manufacture ammunitions and bomb casings, but Schindler famously told his factory manager, if this factory ever produces a shell that can be fired, I'll be very disappointed. Instead of producing their own shells that could be fired, he bought shells from another manufacturer, and he passed them off as his own. And this cost an extraordinary amount to keep the Germans from being suspicious about what was happening in Schindler's factory. But again, he said it was worth it. In May of 1945, the war in Europe was coming to an end, and German soldiers had received orders to, to kill every remaining living Jew that was in the camps. And Schindler prevented that from happening. He prevented the Germans from taking action and fulfilling their orders with the people he protected. As a result of Schindler's efforts, he was penniless. He spent everything he had. He had liquidated his assets. He had spent all of the money he had earned from his factory for the cause of saving the Jews' lives. He'd spent everything he had to provide for and protect them. Not, not only to save them, but to provide for them practically. It'll come on in just a second. After the war, uh, he would be hunted as a Nazi sympathizer because he was a member of the Nazi party. He stayed with his people as long as he could uh, to ensure that they would be safe, and then he and his wife were going to flee the factory together. And as they're leaving, Schindler is given two things. He's given a letter from every worker in the factory. All 1,100 workers signed a letter that was a letter declaring Schindler's innocence, 
in case he was captured by the allies, and all 1,100 workers signed it, saying, hey, he's innocent, don't be too hard on this guy. And then they also gave him a gold ring, and the ring was made when one of the workers allowed his gold tooth to be extracted and melted down for the gift to Schindler. story is that at the beginning of the story, Schindler's this man who's very selfish, very consumed with what he has and what he wants and what his desires are. And by the time we get to this part of the story, um, he is shifted to a man who is more focused on what he could have done, what he didn't do, um, that he had sacrificed so much. In the course of Schindler's life, he literally gave millions and millions away. But here he is saying, "I, I could have done more. And what we see has happened in Schindler's life is that sacrifice has become normal for him. 
And if you look at the life of Christ, you see over and over and over what he did was to bless others, to help others serve others. There wasn't a single selfish act Jesus did in his life. He lived his life to be a blessing and to serve and to give himself as a sacrifice to others. Sacrifice was normal for Christ. Sacrifice was becoming normal for Schindler. And this is what we have to see. Sacrifice should be normal in the life of Christians. As a Christian, our life should be marked by sacrifice. There was a woman named Irina Sindler, and she was part of another movement in Poland during World War II, and she was able to see about 900 Jews saved just from what she had done. And someone later in her life called her a hero, and this is what she said. She said, heroes do extraordinary things. What I did wasn't extraordinary. It was normal. See, the sacrifices that we begin to make that we think are a big deal, in time, we realize it's a normal part of our life. We begin making sacrifice, we begin living sacrificially for our kids, for our neighbors, for the people around us, and we realize in time it becomes normal, it becomes part of who we are. And Paul was writing to the Roman church, and this is what he said in Romans chapter 12, verse one, he said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And this is what he says here. Uh, for the Jews, they would bring a sacrifice to the temple, and it would be a dove, it would be a lamb, it would be a sheep, whatever it might be, they would bring it, and it would be killed, and the blood would cover their sins. It would atone for their sins. It would buy them time. And this is what Paul is saying, though. He's saying, you don't have to bring a sacrifice. Don't bring an animal to be sacrificed. Bring yourself and lay yourself down as a living sacrifice. He said, you're not laying yourself down that you can let your blood be shed and atone for sin. He's saying, you're laying your life down and saying, God, I am yours. Every bit of me is yours. My life is is a sacrifice for you. I've heard people say before, sometimes it's easier to die for a cause than to live for a cause. And Christ isn't asking us to die, he's asking us to live, but he's asking us to lay ourselves down sacrificially and say, God, I am yours. That's hard to do, that's not easy. We'd much rather hear preaching that says, hey, if you just do these three easy steps, God's gonna bless you, make you wealthy and healthy and everything's gonna be perfect in your life, but that's not always the case. I'm being honest with you here. What is Christ calling us to do? He's calling us to be a living sacrifice. And then Paul goes on to say, he says, which is your spiritual worship? See, sometimes we think worship is just what we do before preaching. Like, hey, we're gonna have some music, and if it's good, and it's, you know, it touches my emotions, maybe I'll lift my hand. Maybe, maybe not, right? And it may, may, I might do a little sway. If it's really good, I might do a turn with a sway, right? Like, we've got levels. I, the previous church I was at, um, one Sunday I was standing on the front row and I was worshiping and I happened to be right in the camera shot, like from that side, and I was, uh, I was a little too happy, uh, you know, so I was moving a little more than I normally would, and I'm the world's worst dancer ever, and I was like dancing on the front row, but I was moving a little bit, and I saw myself in the camera shot, like on the screen, I was like, oh gosh, I can never do that again, like that was horrible, Right? 
Like, oh gosh. And sometimes we get to that place and we go, that's what worship is. Worship is in when we get happy in the hands or movement or we're singing loud. That's what worship is. But Paul identifies worship as something else entirely. He said it's not the, the words you sing in the songs before the preaching. Paul says your lives are an act of worship. When we allow ourselves to be a living sacrifice, that is an act of worship. It is spiritual worship. <laughs> See, true worship happens every single day of our lives, not just on Sundays before the preaching. True worship happens when we get up in the morning, and how we respond to our boss, and how we treat the person that cuts us off in traffic. All those things cumulatively in our lives is worship. Sometimes we don't see it like that. But that worship happens when we allow ourselves to say, God, I'm going to be a living sacrifice for your glory. I'm going to lay myself down so that we can make much of you. I'm going to decrease so that you can increase. Second Corinthians chapter 8, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and if you were looking for a church at that time, the Corinthian church was it. They did all their stuff well. Man, good preaching and kids ministry, all the stuff that you're looking for in a church, it was the Corinthian church. But Paul was correcting them because they were failing to live up to some of their financial obligations, and they were not living sacrificially as a church. And so Paul's correcting them a little bit. And this is what he says in in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of gift, uh, of grace is also. So what he's saying is, man, you do all this stuff really well. You look like you've got your junk together, but you don't live sacrificially. Your, your church is unwilling to sacrifice. And that should be a normal part of who you are and what you do. It should be a normal part of uh, the life of a church, and not just the life of a church is in the corporate sense, but in the life of a church is me, I'm the church, and you are the church. Sacrifice should be a normal part of who we are. In fact, in every, in every single wedding I preach, every single one, I will reference Ephesians chapter 5. And I think it's such an important passage of scripture for husbands and wives. And so I will reference Ephesians 5. And it's a portion where um, it says, uh, wives submit to your husbands as, as the church submits to Christ. But then it goes on to say in, in Ephesians 5.25, I'll read this part. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What is it saying? It's saying, husbands, the right way, the normal way to love your wife is sacrificially. That is not extraordinary. It's not for the superhero husband who does things better than everybody else. This is the normal way we should love our spouses, sacrificially. And I will tell you, and there's no condemnation. If you're here today and you've walked through a divorce, there's no condemnation. And I, I am telling you, though, the reason there's so, much prop, so many problems in marriages today is that many people refuse to sacrifice, See, because even when my wife submits to me as the church submits to Christ, that's a sacrifice. She has to lay herself down to do that. And many times we're unwilling to do that. We're unwilling to sacrifice ourselves. But it should be a normal part of our lives. But it's not. See, what's happened is Christianity has become about shaping the gospel to give us the lives we want. We, we say, hey, I'm going to use this verse and this verse, and it's going to, it's going to make me feel good. It's going, to, it's going to help me with my day. But really what should happen is that the gospel should be about us allowing ourselves to be shaped by the gospel to change the lives of the people around us. But instead, we want to shape the gospel to fit what we want. But if we do this, we have to understand that our primary calling as Christians 
is not to be blessed, but it's to continually lay ourselves down and abandon ourselves for the cause of Christ. <laughs> Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he was a preacher in Germany, and he was uh, anti-Nazi, and he was very subversive in anti-Nazi movements, and he was implicated in a plot to kill Hitler. So he was arrested, he was jailed, and he was executed. But one of the things he said is this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. What Christ is inviting us to do is lay ourselves down sacrificially for him. But this is the thing. He's not asking us for something. He's inviting us into something. He's saying, if you will lay yourself down, I've got something even better for you. I've got a life for you that you can't even begin to imagine if you will simply lay yourself down. See, sacrifice happens when we know our why, but sacrifice should be normal in our lives as well. In 1963, um, Schindler was named righteous among the nations by the Israeli government. In the clip you're about to see, Schindler um, is, is visited, his grave is visited by the people who survived, Schindler's Jews. And the people you're going to see in the clip are the actors who portrayed the people and then the actual person. And they begin to lay rocks at the grave where Schindler is buried. He died in October 1974 in Germany, but the Jewish um, the Israeli nation allowed him to be buried on Mount Zion. He was the only member of the Nazi party to ever be honored in that way. You know, 1,100 people were saved by Oscar Schindler. He, he paid for them. He, if you will, he ransomed them. He saved them from the death camps. And 1,100 people were saved. And the clip you saw said over 6,000, but that was from the mid-1990s. 
Um, today we know that over 8,500 people are alive today because they're descendants of that original 1,100. 8,500 people today in uh, the U.S., in Europe, and in Israel are alive because one man paid a huge price. One man made a sacrifice that made a difference for generations and generations and generations to come. John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We see Jesus call us his friends. That we're not just some random people that he would lay his life down for, that I'm gonna pay a price and someday some, be, some people will have the benefit of that. But he looks at you and he says, you are my friend and you are worth the price that I'm gonna pay. He would do it all over again because you are his why and you are worth it. You know, 2.2 billion people in the world are Christians today. That's about a third of the world's population serves Christ. About a third of the world's population declare Jesus Christ as Lord. About a third of the world's population today, 2,000 years later, worship Jesus as the King of Kings. That's quite a legacy. I would say this to you though, think about your life. Think about the people that have impacted you. Think about the people that have spoken into you. When you think about who you are today and you think about the people that helped shape you into that person, think about the names and the faces. Now think about the ways they sacrificed for you. Maybe it was a mom or dad. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a minister, a youth pastor, pastor. But there were people in your life that gave of themselves. They spent money on you. They invested financially in you. There were people that they took their time and believed in you and no one else did. There were, there were people that, that spoke life into you when no one else would. They believed that you could be something beyond what you were. And they sacrificed for you. Now they may never have a monument named after them or a school or a building named after them, but I would say that there's a monument in your heart that today you go, I am who I am because someone sacrificed for me. Now understand this, you have the same ability to leave a legacy as anyone else does. The same ability that Oscar Schindler has to leave a legacy and to be remembered, you have that same power, that same ability to leave a legacy. There are people around you every day that you can bring to life, that you can breathe life into, that you can encourage, that you can challenge, that you can sacrifice for, that you can take a moment of your time and encourage and bless. There are people in your life that you can invest in financially, emotionally, spiritually, and leave a legacy that will be remembered forever, that can change generations. The question is not if you can, the question is if you will. See, I said earlier, if our why is big enough, we can do anything. The question is, is your why big enough? It's not that we lack ability, it's that we lack motivation. What is your motivation? What's driving you? Are you like Oscar Schindler? You're driven by the bottom line, you're driven by what you can get, what you can have, or are you driven by something bigger than that? That's what God's calling us to. That's what Christ is inviting us to, to lay ourselves down, to become a living sacrifice. And I will tell you this, I don't think any of us will truly be fulfilled until we truly learn how to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. I know it's a steep order, but that's what God's calling us to do today. That's what we're inviting you to do. Now before we can do that, the truth is, we've got to experience the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. 
And there's some of you in this room that maybe haven't done that yet. And I want to give you the opportunity. So if you're here, uh, everybody here, bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. If you're here today, and maybe you're not from a church background, maybe you didn't grow up as a Christian, but you're here today and you say, I, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to honor his sacrifice. I want to make sure I get some things right with God today. I don't want to leave here the same, but I want to know Jesus. I don't want to make him Lord of my life. I'm not going to make you come forward. I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to give you the opportunity to, to, to connect with Jesus, to make him Lord of your life. And I want to pray with you right where you're at in your seat. So if that's you and you say today, I want to know Jesus. I want to, I, I want to experience the sacrifice he made. I, I want to know him and have a relationship with him. I want to make him Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just put your hand up real high where I can see it? And I just want to pray with you where you're at. Thank you, ma'am, in the center section. Thank you over here on my left, two hands over here. Thank you, another hand down here in the front. Thank you in the back on my right. Thank you, sir. Who else? Back here on my extreme right. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you up in the balcony, in the very back. I see you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Praise the Lord. A few more seconds. You can put your hand down in the center section. I see you. Awesome. Who else is that to me? Pray for me, Mel. Thanks, man. Back here on the right. I see you. Praise the Lord. Who else? Just a few more seconds. You say that to me. Pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. All right. The Word of God tells us that we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ was risen from the dead, that he is able to save us. So, the first step is just confessing and believing that he is Lord. And so I want to invite every one of you to do that today. Whether you raise your hand or not, I want to ask you just to say a really simple prayer after me. Just repeat after me. And say these words with your mouth and believe them in your heart. So everybody in the place, whether you raised your hand or not, please repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, even when I was unlovable. Thank you that you died for me and sacrificed your life for me. I'm giving everything to you today, my whole life, my strengths and my weaknesses, my wins and my losses. It is all yours. Use it for your glory. Let my life be a living sacrifice for you. I'm never going back to my old ways my old habits, and my old life. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a round of applause this morning? Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. If you, uh, if you raise your hand and you said that prayer and you made Jesus Lord of your life today, there's a prayer card in the seat back in front of you. It looks like this one. Do me a favor, fill this card out. It's on the back here, it says uh, salvation or rededication. Fill this card out. Drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. Let us know about it. We wanna help you take the next step. Well, let me just tell you, I mentioned this earlier, a fantastic next step for you to take if you're really serious about growing in your faith is to connect with Pastor Dick's Bible study. If you don't know who Pastor Dick is, he was the, <laughs> he was the short little guy that was baptizing people in the baptistry earlier. <laughs> he's gonna get on to me later for that. But he's fantastic. And he's going to be leading a Bible study on Wednesday nights, 7 p.m., and it's specifically for people who are new to their faith and want to grow and, and take that next step. And we want to help you with that. So fill this card out. Let us know. We want to help you. I'm telling you guys, um, you know what? We had record attendance last weekend. 
but we had 12 people make decisions for Christ. I don't know what the number is this weekend yet, how many people made decisions for Christ. And we might've set another record of attendance, but my favorite number is people that are changed, transformed for the power of Christ. That's my favorite thing, and I'm so excited. Now listen, if you raised your hand and then you made a decision for Christ today, I want you to know something. I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. But take the next step and begin to grow in your faith and let God shape you. And just like the scripture told us we saw earlier, he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He wants to perfect your faith. So he's not through with you yet. He wants to shape you and mold you and direct your growth. So take the next step. Help, let us help you take that, okay? Um, this is what we're going to do next. We're going to sing another worship song together, and then Todd is gonna dismiss us here in just a minute, but while we're singing together in one final song, our prayer team's gonna be on either side of the stage, and we wanna pray with you about whatever your prayer need is, because this is the good news. Guess what? Our God is a big God, and we believe God can do big things, so maybe you need a miracle in your body, in your health. Uh, God is a big God. He's bigger than cancer. He's bigger than arthritis. He's bigger than illnesses and sickness. He's bigger. Maybe you're here and you need a, a miracle in your finances. Guess what? God is bigger than job loss and bankruptcy. God is bigger than debt. He can take care of you. He can minister in you. Uh, maybe it's a relationship. God is bigger. Whatever your need is, God is bigger. God wants to minister to you and we want to help. So we want to pray with you today. So why don't you stand your feet all over this place today? Guys, I want you to know, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. I, I didn't tear up in the earlier services when I said that, so I love you guys more. Um, hey, we want to pray with you. Let's worship together one more time before we're dismissed. I love you. God bless you.